Winner of the 2002 Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences, Dr. Daniel Kahneman is Professor of Psychology and Public Affairs Emeritus at the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs, the Eugene Higgins Professor of Psychology Emeritus at Princeton University, and a Fellow of the Center for Rationality at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Widely considered one of the leading voices in behavioral economics and cognitive psychology, Dr. Kahneman earlier this year co-authored a book called Noise, A Flaw in Human Judgment, in which he helps explain what noise is in the context of judgments and how it differs from bias. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Teese, and in this episode of If When, I sat down with Dr. Kahneman to learn more about how to recognize cognitive noise and decrease its negative effects, as well as to get his insights on where emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence will potentially factor into human decision-making. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kahneman, for joining me uh, today. want to talk a little bit about your new book that came out this year, and then also just uh, you know, talk about noise and bias and decision-making. And so to start us off, you know, one concept in behavioral science, I understand it's getting more and more attention these days, is the concept of noise and in the process of making judgments. And uh, as I just mentioned, you co-authored a book it's called Noise, A Flaw in Human Judgment uh, this year. And so for our listeners, can you describe what is meant by noise and how is it different from bias? Sure. Well, I'll start at the intellectual beginning. I'll start at the origin idea. Mm-hmm. And the origin idea is, is a particular view of what judgment is. And we think of judgment as an operation of measure. And with a measuring instrument in the human mind. So you're applying your judgment to a problem and you're going to come up with a judgment, which is the equivalent of a value that, you know, your scale or your ruler returns when you're applying measurement. That's important because it brings the theory of measurement to bear as relevant to the theory of judgment. And in the theory of measurement, there are two types of errors not only one, Mm -hmm. and there are two sources of error. So one of them, and you can think of your bathroom scale as as an example. So your bathroom scale can be biased, Mm. which means that on average, the errors of measurement have one sign rather than the other. Mm -hmm. So if most of the time, if you have a very friendly scale that underestimates weights, that's one thing, Mm -hmm. an unfriendly Bathroom scale has the opposite bias. So bias is the average error. Mm -hmm. But now think of a scale that has no bias. All it has is variability. That is, when you step on the scale, on and off, my scale is like that. When you step (laughs) on and off, you don't get the same number. Mm -hmm. That variability is noise. And you can see that a, a good measuring instrument Mm-hmm. would have no bias and no noise. Mm-hmm. That is, it would return exactly the same value. So variability, noise, is found in any measuring instrument mm-hmm. to, some, to a larger or greater extent. Scientific instruments reduce both variability, both noise and bias to the extent possible. The same is true for human judgment. There is bias, which is average error, Mm. And there is noise, which is variability. Mm. And the variability can be across judges, across individuals. So, for example, you have judges in the judicial system, 
Mm-hmm. And to the extent that they would give different sentence, assign different sentences to the same crime, this mm-hmm. is not You have underwriters in the insurance system. If they would assign different premiums to the same complicated risk, mm-hmm. uh, that's noise. If, if physicians disagree, that's noise, and so on and so on. So noise is a separate source of error. It's just variability among judgments that mm-hmm. in principle should be equal. And the important thing is that in the theory of error, noise and bias have equivalent status. Mm-hmm. That is, if you reduce noise by 50% and you reduce bias by 50%, you have increased accuracy to the same extent. Mm-hmm. This is very non-intuitive mm-hmm. because mostly people tend to think that bias is much more salient and more important mm-hmm. and that the job of improving accuracy is reducing bias. But actually, an equally important part of the mm-hmm. job of reducing accuracy is to reduce noise. And mm-hmm. that's why we wrote that book. It sounds like um, maybe that people conflate bias and noise. And that if I understand the analogy correctly, so let's use the bathroom scale. You have a bathroom scale that tends to uh, be friendly and it, it tends to knock, it tends to show you way less than you normally do. Whereas, and that's bias, whereas noise is I get on and it tells me I'm 0.7 grams less than I am. I step off, I get back on, then it says 0.3 grams less. You know, it's still, the bias is still that I weigh less than I really do, but the noise is the variability and like actually how that, is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And there is a, there are several crucial differences between bias and noise that, Mm -hmm. that deserve to be pointed out. The first one is that you can, and that's why bias is so much easier to understand, is that you can recognize bias in a single measurement or in a single decision. Mm-hmm. Bias is an error, is, is a type of error, and you can recognize an error and say, oh, this, this error seems to be produced by a bias, by a specific bias. Mm-hmm. Noise, you never find noise in a single error. Mm. To a, noise is defined by the fact that there are many measurements and mm. that those measurements do not agree. So noise is a statistical concept. Mm. And our mind has a lot of difficulty with statistical concepts. So that's, that's one very important difference. And the other one is, what is the effect of taking multiple measurements? So suppose you want to get the best measurement possible with your bathroom scales, mm-hmm. uh, then stepping on it and off it 10 times and taking the average will reduce noise. Mm-hmm. It will do nothing to bias. There will be an average error, but it will reduce noise. You can eliminate noise completely mm-hmm. by taking a, the average of a sufficient number of observations. Mm-hmm. No, so there is really, there are important differences mm-hmm. in noise between noise and bias but both are sources of error and both should be reduced in order to get good judgments or good or good measurement Mm. so my next question is is how can people recognize noise and i think yeah i suspect you know part of it part of the challenge is bias seems readily evident you know based on kind of what you're saying whereas noise takes work 
you know, and our minds are already you know, kind of overwhelmed with sensory input all the time. And so there's a certain level of patience, you know, that, that needs to be uh, applied to, um, you know, detecting noise, but how, how can people recognize noise, particularly uh, like in their decision-making, I think? Well, actually the way it works, it's almost the opposite of, I think, uh, of what you were implying. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can have the feeling of recognizing bias, but that's not evidence. We, we, we see bias because we see errors. Mm-hmm. In a particular kind. Noise is actually quite easy to measure, mm. and, but you have to make the effort of measuring it. Mm-hmm. People don't have intuitions about noise. We call a measurement a noise audit. So what would a noise audit be like mm-hmm. if you have multiple employees in your organization who make decisions mm-hmm. like you know they they can prioritize clients which client should they call first you can present the same problem of prioritizing clients present the identical problem to many employees mm-hmm. and to the extent that they disagree that's noisy and and that noise is not a good thing for the organization. Mm. I mean, clearly it is to the advantage of the organization for employees who make those decisions to make them in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, the justice system is not well served if different judges would give different sentences to the same defendant. Mm-hmm. If they do, by the way, there's an awful lot of noise in in the judicial system. Similarly, an insurance company would not want the premium that it demands to be determined by the lottery that actually sends one into an underwriter to deal with a particular client. Mm-hmm. And it's that lottery that is noise. And it's which individual employee does a client or a customer face Mm-hmm. And there's also a little lottery. What kind of a mood is that individual in? What's the state? Is it good mood, bad right. mood, before lunch, late in the day, early in the day? Those are lotteries, and mm-hmm. organizations are better off if they minimize the role of those lotteries, both for justice and for efficiency. Mm-hmm. So it's it sounds like there's a need... And this, this is probably overstating things a bit, but there's a need to decrease some of the subjectivity in certain areas of decision-making and kind of operationalize greater rigor so that you can, you know, maybe I'm tired today or it's hot or, you know, I've got a lot of phone calls, something, you know, that's bothering me, but it's like, as long as I stay the course and follow certain steps in decision-making, it will help decrease negative subjectivity that may have a a negative outcome? In general, I think, you know, we talk about disciplined thinking Mm -hmm. as as the answer to noise. And we talk about decision hygiene Mm -hmm. as steps that decision makers or an organization can take to reduce noise. And those are procedures of general procedures for decision making Mm -hmm. that uh, can we we hope improve the quality of decision? Hmm. So my next question is is kind of uh, uh, a, a bit on intuition and you know a bit on that that creative thinking 
and I know you've, you've talked about this before, but how might one determine what is truly unwanted variability versus what is novelty of thought? Well, variability is actually desirable in many situations. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a creative solution to a problem, you certainly don't want people to think alike. You mm -hmm. want as much diversity as possible. In general, you want diversity because it's interesting. So you don't want your film critics all to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. And or you want diversity because of selection. So that when there are many proposals on the table, you can pick the best. And in that case, if there is selection, then diversity is good. In fact, noise or variability is the engine of evolution. Mm -hmm. And it's in exactly that way that there is a lot of variability and the fittest survive. I mean, there is a process of selection. But when you have different underwriters, individual underwriters, making judgments on behalf of the company, mm -hmm. there is no advantage to their being different from each other. Mm. Yeah, nobody learns anything from those differences because there is no selection mechanism. There is no feedback mechanism. Mm. So it's very important to distinguish mm -hmm. situations in which variability is undesirable from situations in which it's tolerable or even desirable. And we call noise undesirable variability. So mm -hmm. it's, that's, that's the way we define it. So, and as a follow-up, and, and maybe this is, the answer is, just, is already embedded in, in the previous question, but as a follow-up, you know, what strategies might be employed to keep judgment noise from unduly influencing how one in, evaluates their experiments? Well, one general principle mm -hmm. is that averaging independent observations reduces noise. And this is just a statistical fact. That is, if you take 100 measurements and you average them, you have reduced noise by 90%. And that's, it's just a statistical fact. Mm. Now, this is quite impractical. You can't have 100 patent officers or 100 judges mm. or 100 underwriters. But that's the idea. That's what we're aiming for. Mm -hmm. We're aiming to, to make the underwriters or the judges as similar to each other as possible mm -hmm. in the decision that they make. And for that, you want to reduce the role of chance. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, the role of chance in meetings, who speaks first mm -hmm. has a disproportionate influence. and in order to reduce that influence, it's good for opinion for people to think about what they want to say or mm -hmm. have their opinions set before the meeting starts and to have a sort of silent vote and, and it can be collected and mm -hmm. then start the discussion so that you don't have the accident of who speaks first or who speaks more loudly mm -hmm. uh, influencing all the rest. We strongly recommend breaking up problems mm -hmm. and structuring the decision-making. That is planning what are the aspects of the problem that you want to evaluate, mm -hmm. how you're going to do it, and then evaluate them independently of each other. And independence is really the crucial factor here. Mm 
It's like independence between judges. It's mm -hmm. independence between people in a conversation. And it's independence between the aspects of a, pro a decision problem that you're looking at. Mm. So picking up on the, the idea of 100 judges or 100 underwriters or whatnot, you know, in, in our current setup, it's impractical, for instance, for someone to like go before 100 judges. So my next set of questions kind of brings in artificial intelligence and other emerging technologies and how we're using technology to kind of come up with like a new way to uh, approach that. You know, there's there's a thing called generative design, for instance, where say an architect wants to build a building, they can run it through an algorithm. And whereas a human architect may come up with like 12 design ideas, a computer could come up with hundreds or even thousands. You know, this next set of questions is about our push for technology such as AI and data science. And do you see that as humanity's attempt to farm out its decision-making obligations to a perceived infallible entity? And then I have a couple of follow-ups on that, but what are, what are your general thoughts there on like well, the, the push for AI? You know, the AI, and it's not only AI, but any rule-governed thinking mm -hmm. has a huge advantage over human intuition. And the advantage is that it's noise-free. And indeed, when human judgment has been compared to rule-governed decision-making or mm. algorithms, one of the main advantages of algorithms over people is that they are noise-free. That is, noise reduces accuracy so much as mm. to make human judgment far inferior to what it ought to be. And, and it's sort of unfortunate that what feels to us like subtle thinking Mm -hmm. turns out statistically to add more noise than bad, then it gives value. Mm -hmm. that's, that's an unfortunate fact. Mm -hmm. And so there are many situations in which AI demonstrably does better than people. I mean, so we've all admitted that with respect to chess, with respect to Go. Mm -hmm. But it's also true, there is compelling evidence, I think, that the decision of whether individuals should be granted bail or not, if it were made according to a rule or by an algorithm, mm -hmm. it would have better results. And in this case, there is a criterion. We want as few people as possible to be in prison, and you want those who are released to commit as few crimes as possible. So you mm -hmm. know what you want. And you can measure and on hundreds of thousands of millions of cases Mm -hmm. whether a rule would have done better than judges do. And, and the answer is yes, mm. uh, in this case. And there are many other domains, like mm. uh, detection of breast cancer, detection of, of problems in the retina, uh, where AI is already coming close. And it's going to, this is going to increase clearly. There's going to be more and more of this mm -hmm. recognition of legal precedents. What are applicable laws? I mean, we can see that coming. And of course, we can see self-driving cars coming slowly. And in those contexts, what you see is not only that noise reduction, among mm -hmm. other things, and a, a huge database. That's mm -hmm. the main advantage of those systems, that, that they can learn from data that are far beyond what the experience of any individual can be. Mm -hmm. 
And for example, the cars on the road, all the autonomous cars on the road, they are as one car in terms of what they learn. So mm-hmm. anything that one of them learns is communicated instantly to all others. Yeah, that that accumulates wisdom very rapidly. So as you can see, I think there's a lot of AI already. There's going to be more. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's happening at an exponential rate, and there are going to be huge problems when it becomes more threatening and more dominant. Mm-hmm. And that could be, you know, within a few decades, it could become a problem. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, most decisions are still made by humans and the uh, most important decisions. And it's very, and it's critical to improve the quality of judgment. That's mm-hmm. what we try to do in our book, Noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to joke, you know, uh, when it comes to autonomous vehicles, it's, you know, we seem to get skittish about the idea of an AI driving a car, but we don't seem to have any problem, you know, letting our teenagers run rampant on the roadways. It's like, but, you know, it's interesting because Werner Vinge and other authors, they talk about the technological singularity, the idea where the AI, AI will at some point get so smart that it outpaces our ability to control it, you know, so... (laughs) What what do you see are maybe some pitfalls for you know this reliance on the, the perceived infallibility of an AI technology? Like where are the pitfalls and then what's an appropriate use of such technology so it doesn't become a crutch or something that lacks accountability? Some of the best minds uh, in the world, I think, are worrying about this problem right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And there are short-term problems. Mm-hmm. And long-term problems, you know, when we're talking of AI taking over, mm-hmm. oh, this is relatively long-term. And mm-hmm. by relatively long-term, we might mean 40 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not uh, at the rate that things are developing. It could be happening in a few decades. Mm-hmm. And then there are short-term problems, and the short-term problems are how do people collaborate with algorithms? Mm-hmm. Who should have the last word is a particularly important question. Yeah. That is, we, we, we seem to take it as obvious that when there is an individual and a computer, the individual should have the last word. Mm-hmm. And that is true under certain circumstances. It's true when you know something that the algorithm doesn't. So my example is if an algorithm has imp- approved a loan for someone, Mm-hmm. and you happen to read in the paper that that person has been arrested for fraud, mm-hmm. then you, you, will, you will override that decision, obviously, because you know something the algorithm didn't know. Mm-hmm. But when it's just a matter that you don't agree with the algorithm, then typically the algorithm should have the last word. Mm-hmm. Because we are talking about algorithms that on average, statistically, mm-hmm are more accurate than people. There is very, if you start picking and choosing Mm -hmm. among the decisions that the algorithm proposes, which of those you agree with and Mm -hmm. which of those you don't, that means you're imposing your own judgment. And in many situations, it's demonstrable that AI is superior. So that's how to organize this and how Mm -hmm. people can live with AI that is, in some sense, better than they are. Mm-hmm. That's a problem that I think some people are facing already, mm-hmm. and 
and many more people are going to face within the next couple of decades. Physicians, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can see that, like going back to the the judge metaphor. You know, maybe there's a judge who, you know, say jaywalking. You know, will throw the book at jaywalkers. Uh, in the morning, they may be lenient, and in the afternoon, after lunch, they may be uh, a little more aggressive in their uh, their sentencing, yeah. and they're not even aware that they have that noise. Uh, but the AI would pick that up, and you know, the so. AI would just not have that problem. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's a big problem. Well, Dr. Kahneman, thank you so much uh, for your time today and, and for sharing your insights. This was really fascinating. And uh, I know your noise is it's just out this year and there's there's a lot of work to be done to unpack that. And uh, yeah. I know you're, you and your colleagues are still researching that. But uh, just wanted to thank you so much again for uh, making yourself available for this. So thank you. My pleasure.